Today's scripture reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. If you're using the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 991. Please rise in honor of the reading of God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, good morning, everybody. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. I don't think a lot of us care, so we'll just jump right to it. Let's pray. All right, uh, Father God, uh, we uh, give you this uh, service. Um, Everything that we do um, may be pleasing to you. Uh, May what we have to say, what we have to sing, what we have to give, um, all that we do in the service, may it be pleasing to you, may it be a sweet sound in your ear. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been called a quitter? Uh, When the going gets tough, the saying goes, the tough gets going. And I think that's a lot of you. Most people that I know in this church are uh, pretty tough, enduring. I think in some sense you have to be to uh, go to med school or uh, be a doctor or an engineer. Um, And even a high school student today, I think you've got to be pretty mentally tough. I personally have a very low threshold when it comes to pain and uh, mental endurance. I had this one job in seminary that I just could not get through. I worked at a UPS hub. They distribute all the packages, all the big boxes that you see, and I worked the graveyard shift. So what we have to do is uh, you load a trailer, sometimes maybe two or three trailers a night, full of boxes and packages. You got about like 90 to 150 of these boxes of different sizes, 20 pounds, 30 pounds. They're coming at you. And you have to stack all these boxes, you know, Tetris style. And, you know, you, inside a dim, hot, stuffy, very uh, dark, dank, uh, no AC trailer, you have to do this. Uh, th- that was the job, pretty uh, grueling manual labor. And you sweat a lot. A lot of people lose about 10 to 15 pounds of water mass every night. And my body and brain couldn't handle the 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. Uh, schedule and going to seminary. So one day I just said, okay, I got to find another job. I can't do this anymore. It's not worth it. I lasted maybe barely, barely a month. And I quit because I couldn't take it anymore. I didn't see the purpose. I found no joy in it. I said, hey, this just is not worth it. And I'm sure most of us have some kind of story like that uh, where we've quit to our shame. And we decided it wasn't worth staying in that job or program because it just wasn't for us. It was too hard, it wasn't worth the money, it was too much sweat, too annoying, etc. How about for our faith? Have you ever had times when you wanted to quit? Some of you, uh, quitting might mean holding the gospel too loosely and not prioritizing it in your life. For others of you, you don't see the value or the mission in the church. Maybe it was out of discouragement you faced, or it's 
it's hard to weekly, uh, faithfully give and serve every week? Or have you ever had doubts? Perhaps you're a younger Christian and you're wondering what things about the Christian faith you should hold on to and what other things you can compromise. You question if it's worth holding on to genuine faith in Christ and in the gospel. The gospel that our faith is about what Jesus has done and is doing and will do, not based on our works or anything that we have done, but all about his grace and his love. Or perhaps you're a mature Christian sitting today, and you wonder for your children and your students and those that you disciple, and you say, hey, there's so many temptations out there, so much in the world. How do I train my sons and daughters, the people younger than me, how do I train them to hold on to their faith? Because culture sends us one message, but the church has an altogether different message. So in, in all of this, it leads to uh, the big fundamental question. And your space is provided, it says, a big question. And the question is, how do I persevere in my faith? How do I persevere in my faith? And I want to address three different types of people today. Uh, most of you will fall in three of these categories. One of the people is the young or growing believer. Hey, maybe you're a youth. You're one of my favorite people. Good for you. And, or maybe you're a new believer, you're a maturing believer, uh, you've been soaking in the truths of the Bible, uh, you guys, and I mean, we guys, because I'm young too, we're, you know, we're cool, we have a lot of energy, uh, we have a lot of dreams, we have a lot of hopes, but we also have a lot of curiosity, we got a lot of questions, and perhaps you come even with a lot of questions today, and, but with youth, obviously, come with different warnings. I'm sure you've all been repeatedly warned to not stray from the faith, to be careful when you leave home and your local church. Uh, perhaps you're even tired of older adults constantly warning you and telling you to, hey, be careful, you don't want to compromise, you don't want to give in to the demands of the culture, make sure you hold fast to your faith. Maybe you've heard that before. But with good wisdom, they're giving you some warning here. So I don't want to talk down to you, because you know, I'm, I'm young too, so I know it doesn't feel good to be talked down to. But I want to challenge you, hold fast to the core doctrines, the essential linchpins and beliefs of the church for the young believer. And the second group I want to address is the mature believer. You know, you're, you're wise, you're not so green anymore, but you're, you know, ripe with color, whatever that means. But... But for you, for the mature believer, I hope this message serves more as um, instruction, a prescription for your children, your own disciples, uh, those that you're looking after. Because what would the church be without our elders, men and women of the faith who have experience, who have the knowledge to pass it along and teach these core beliefs about God to us? So we as young people, we need you. The young people need to hear how to hold on to their faith, how to persevere well, how to wage the war against the enemy in an increasingly hostile culture whose message is to improve yourself and feel good and be morally good, kind puppies. And they don't understand the concepts of grace or truth. So I challenge you, mature believer, to listen and see who you can challenge in your own life as you hold fast to the faith. And finally, our third group of you is, if you don't fall in either category, maybe you don't identify uh, with the young believer or the mature believer. Maybe you're a seeker, or maybe you're a non-believer. 
Uh, maybe you're a visitor and just curious about the church. Uh, perhaps your co-worker invited you and you just want to check out the service or answer more questions about Christianity. Uh, maybe you're here just to impress that guy or gal that um, invited you and you're like, hey, you know, maybe I can get something out of this. But hey, whatever reason you're here, we're happy that you're here and we're praying for you. But whatever reason you're here, we hope you walk away with a few things. The main thing being, like this Bible that people talk about, the God of this Bible, who is he and is he worth getting to know more of? Because we are unapologetically for the Bible and the truth of the Bible. So we want you, if you are um, a skeptic or a non-believer, we want you to come with questions and doubts and skepticism. But our prayer is that through the service, that God would do something through his spirit to do a work in you. Through the message, through the worship, through the offering. That you would sincerely question what is being taught. And informatively make a decision for yourself and ask, hey, is this God worth it? Is this God worth following? Could I trust in this God of the Bible? So with that said, let's dive into the text. And we'll walk through our passage through uh, three different things today. And so you'll see more blanks. Um, first one is, first question is, what is the war? Second thing is, how are we to fight? And third thing is, why the church? What is the war? How are we to fight? And why the church? We've been walking through the book of 1 Timothy, a letter from a mentor to protege. In, so the, Paul is instructing Timothy to teach correct doctrine and to help the church be ordered theologically correct as she matures. A letter from a seasoned veteran to a younger, inexperienced man. In the last few weeks, we've seen that Paul giving to Timothy the challenge to protect the truth of the gospel, to never compromise, to not steer into any false teaching, but to keep on mission. And so we come to the passage today from verses 18 through 20. And so with that said, let's move on to the first thing of what is the war. Read from verse 18, it says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So let's talk about it. What is the war? What is the war? Paul says that the Tim Timothy needs to wage the good warfare. Later on, he's told to fight the good fight. Um, I'm, I'm personally not experienced in uh, military or um, armed forces or war or anything, but I have seen a TV show called Band of Brothers. Any of you seen um, HBO miniseries? It's, it's a really excellent show. A Band of Brothers, it tells a story of a little scrappy, brave unit that fought in the front lines of World War II. And in this show, you can see how messy battle is, how dangerous combat can be, how savage and brutal and frightening war is. And in this show, you see how people, they are almost like instinctively in this kill or be killed mode. And in a sense, that's kind of what Paul is exhorting Timothy to do here. Uh, not fighting people, not fighting an actual war, um, not killing, but actually fighting false doctrine and teaching that is contrary to Scripture. That is the war for Timothy. Lifting up the banner of Christ in a broken world, a fallen and sinful world, advancing the gospel in this world, not making room for deceitful teaching or any kind of hypocritical lifestyle in the church. That is the battle. That is the war he is to fight. 
Paul also mentions, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. As Paul entrusts Timothy to faithfully carry on his mission, he also reminds Timothy to remember the prophecies made about him in the past. Prophecies were made by um, Christians in the New Testament. Um, What happens is uh, members of a church would give an exhortation or a rebuke, or they would get a word from God, and they would um, publicly um, have a prophecy about somebody or something. And uh, my personal conviction is that today, um, the pulpit, uh, through preaching of God's word, that is how we prophesy, and so we don't have the need for anything like that anymore. But back then, in the New Testament times, it was common for the early church to do so, to have people giving prophecies and about truths from God spoken publicly. And so Paul reminds that there have been Christians who have made these prophecies to Timothy. There was some kind of external confirmation about Timothy's gifting or calling to the ministry. Affirmation from God and the body that Timothy, hey, you are called to do the work. That's reminding Timothy, hey, God has called you to do this work. It's not just the encouragements of men. It's not just fluff words. God has called you to be a faithful minister of the word, to teach truth and to love well, to fight hypocrisy, to fight falsehood in the church, protect the church, to not slander, no compromise teaching. Timothy would know that he was empowered to wage the war by protecting truth and battling any lies. You know, when I read this passage, I picture Paul saying to Timothy, hey, Timothy, you got to stand your ground. Teaching that is anti-gospel or watered-down message, like you cannot allow that in here at all. And false teaching in, back in those days came in many different forms. Um, one was legalism. Legalism meaning, hey, you got to do this, or don't do that in order to be saved. Uh, such uh, such uh, teachings were um, common back then, and later in chapter 4, Paul mentions how, um, how the church in that day um, would spread false teachings of, um, hey, you can't uh, marry anybody, or you can't eat pork-related foods like bacon or barbecue, because like, that is not okay for a Christian. And so they, they would add all these rules as um, what a Christian should and should not do when really God has blessed you, and these are good gifts. And so those are some things that uh, were incorrect doctrines in Paul's day. And so those were things adding to the gospel in legalism, but there were also things reducing the gospel, saying that, hey, you don't need just Jesus. He's not the only way. There's more ways to be saved. You know, there's, he's not the only way towards salvation. And so any false teaching that would reduce the gospel was common too. And today we certainly have our fair share of false and dangerous teaching as well. Uh, You might be familiar with the prosperity gospel. It says that God cares more about my health and wealth and my pocket and my finances more than he cares about his own glory. There are others who say that there is no hell, there's no such thing as damnation, there's no punishment for sin. And others say that our church is so inclusive, it doesn't matter who you sleep with or how often or with what gender, because we're not going to call you out on it. Hey, that would be intolerant. That would make me a little uncomfortable. Or how about a subtle cultural message that says, God owes me something in our Wi-Fi entitled generation. We think God needs to give us something in order for him to be good. And I'm sure we can name more and more. uh, But for the doubting younger believer, this is a huge issue. You ask, what do I believe? Is God actually good? Is he a God that I can trust? Is he a God that won't abandon me when I sin? Is he somebody worth more than a career 
a school, a relationship. And this is where our older, mature believers, we need your help. We need your help to safeguard doctrine, to hold fast to the beliefs and to disciple young people, to young men and women saying that, hey, you need to hold fast to these truths. We've all doubted. We've all wanted to be exceptions to the rule. Hey, God didn't say anything about, you know, this certain thing or about dating in the Bible, so I make the rules. I make the exceptions. That's how some of us think. And I said earlier how Paul was encouraging Timothy to be a guardian of doctrine, about protecting truth. That's his role as a soldier in battle. And Paul wants Timothy to know he needs to fight falsehood and lies. So I'll give you kind of two silly images here, uh, one for us uh, nerdy types and two for us sporty types. Our first image is from a Lord of the Rings, um, Fellowship of the Ring. Old elf guy, right, the white-haired guy, Gandalf, I think that's his name. He's standing on that bridge where that big red demon thing, you know, at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring, you know, he, that, that big monster thing is about to get the gang. And so what does he do? He strikes his big staff on the ground, right, and he goes, you shall not pass, right? And then he, like, breaks the ground and then carries that monster down with him and then, what, what, and, you know, like, he protects them. He protects his friends by uh, making sure that the evil one did not get to his friends. And the second image is that of a former Houston Rockets center, Dikembe Mutombo. He swats the opposing team, and they're going to go in for a layup, and he has this huge, like, 30-foot wingspan, and, you know, like, swats it out, he blocks it, and he goes, you know, no, 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 not in my house, right? Like, he's like, but that's the role that Timothy has in the war. He's not to let the enemy pass. He's not to allow the false doctrine pass. And if any teaching contrary to the Bible or any falsehood is about to come in here, you know, hey, swap that thing out. Don't let him pass. You shall not pass. You're going to block that out because that's not allowed in God's house. So he's to keep on the battle, Timothy is. And we are too in a con constantly shaping culture that does not treat the church with much kindness or respect. That is his mission as he faithfully perseveres. And so let's continue. We move on to the second thing. How are we to fight? Verse 19 says, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. Paul gives us two practical things here on how we are to fight. One is that of holding on to a sincere faith Second thing of holding on to a good, good conscience. Faith means faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Faith in the correct doctrine based on the Bible, nothing else. Believing in the glory of God, his character, his power, his sovereignty. Basically, faith in that the God of this Bible is who he claims to be and that he is truly good. Faith in the God of this book, not just in our minds or feelings, or miss. So we, you need that faith. And he also says, you fight it with a good conscience, a Holy Spirit-led conscience that doesn't make compromise, but stands firm in what they know. So if uh, having a sincere faith is knowing the truth, good conscience would be the ability to act upon the truth that you already know. So some things we let slide because of a poor conscience. Hey, I know I shouldn't gossip about that person, but you know, it's fine. Hey, even though we're not quite married yet, you know, we're married in God's eyes, so we can fill in the blank. Or, hey, I know that it's by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, but I really think it's more about my performance and rules, so I'm just going to add to the gospel. That's how we think if we have a poor conscience. 
So Paul urges Timothy to hold to the faith, to know what you believe, and to practice it with good conscience. A Holy Spirit conscience that would convict you for saying any falsehood or living a hypocritical life. The consequences of not following through on these two things, it says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Paul knows a lot about shipwreck. Um, Anybody in here ever been on sea and been shipwrecked before and still here? Any show of hands? Well, if if you're still here, God, God must love you if you really were shipwrecked in here. But anyhow, you know, apparently S.S. Paul had been in the actual ship that had been wrecked before a few times, and probably not a fun experience, um, but he uses his imagery to tell people who appear to have believed at one point of the gospel, or were members of the church at one point, but they fell away. What they once seemingly had is now ruined and compromised and broken. And later on, we'll talk specifically more about these two individuals that shipwrecked their faith in the next verse. But just want to clarify uh, the church's stance on a believer's security. We've always believed that once saved, always saved, which means that uh, I don't know the fate of these two individuals here, but I do know that those who God has called and held, he will not let go. He has called you into salvation. He's called you his child. So no matter what sins, you know, what mistakes might happen, if you're a repentant believer, he's not going to let go of you. It says, neither angels nor heaven nor hell could ever separate us from the love Jesus has paid for you. So we would have to say, if that's the case, that these two men Paul were talking about that shipwrecked their faith, either they were claiming to believe in Christ, and yet very possible that they never repented, never believed, and were led astray by some false teaching. And furthermore, they promoted lies by living in them. They were likely never saved, never regenerated by God's Spirit, Perhaps they were pretending that the gospel was true for them. Or maybe they just thought, you know, Christianity was just a bunch of good moral teachings. And isn't that true for us as well? Just knowing good theology, just going to church, just serving. That doesn't mean anything. A bunch of good works doesn't equate, a bunch of good knowledge doesn't equate to a saving faith. At the end of the day, only repentance and faith in the Messiah, the God-man, Jesus Christ, that's the only way, only sure way to salvation. So this is where our major warning comes in. Don't shipwreck your faith. I asked earlier how we are to persevere in our faith. Uh, We've seen that there is a problem in our culture, and we have to hold fast to our belief and to apply with a good conscience. I'm sure most of you know a student or somebody, uh, even in your own life, even from this church maybe, that have shipwrecked their faith. Maybe they never believed in the first place, or maybe they're in a season of drifting. I don't know. But what I do know that it's sad. It's sad. I'm sure for parents, I'm sure for teachers alike, it must be heart-wrenching to think that those of you, those that you love most, those that you love might reject the gospel or walk away from it. You know, you don't need a stat sheet or a pie chart to know that the percentages of those who graduate their faith after graduating high school or graduating college It's staggering, and it seems like it's increasing every year. If you are a young or growing believer, we challenge you and your faith. If you have questions, if you have doubts, hey, don't just suppress them. Actually engage, actually engage in those questions with a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a leader, a believer. 
Because the worst thing that you could do is to leave the church frustrated with the church because you sense none of your doubts and none of your questions are being brought up. So bring it up. There is no dumb question. There is no such thing as a silly doubt. In anything, we appreciate the sincerity of your faith as you wrestle with God with these genuine questions. But secondly, good conscience. If you are compromising and unrepentant, little things and slip-ups might seem okay now, but beware. Every time you compromise your theology, your sexuality, your integrity, it's ultimately going to influence your identity. You're going to believe things you hadn't wished before. If I believe what my culture says about dating, you know, I'm going to say it's okay to sleep around before marriage. I'll make small exceptions here. I'll make, you know, I'll practice it here. That's fine. And what's going to happen over time is my heart's going to be numb to certain sins. And I'm going to compromise my faith and it's going to shape me. So for you mature believers, older men and women of the church, we need your prayers. We need your strength. We need your teaching. One of the true indicators of young people sticking to their faith after high school is shown by the amount of important adults that they had in these formative years. Will you be one of the many adults that they need so that they can have a model of a genuine, real faith? Not just teaching that's just about do this or don't do that. Here's the rules. Don't cross it. We need grace-filled teachers who can learn how to empathize and listen. Teachers who can help our young believers authentically live out and have room for questions, but with those questions, you direct them towards the person of Jesus Christ every time. And so, let's continue on seeing our third point of why the church. Why the church? Verse 20 says, Among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So we talked about those two being shipwrecked in their faith. And we don't know a whole lot about these two people here, Hymenaeus and Alexander. But we do learn from this passage is that somehow that they have drifted away from their faith. And even though it's not implicitly said in the Bible, we can assume that either they taught some kind of false doctrine contrary to the Bible or acted in a way that was not in submission or alignment with the gospel, teaching that were either additional to the gospel or reducing the gospel. And it could have been such things that ultimately put them out of the graces of Paul. Or by their actions, seemingly confessing Jesus was God, and yet living in clear, disobedient, unrepentant sin. By claiming to be a Christian, and yet clearly living opposed to what the church taught. And so, just want to clarify, when it says, um, he handed him over to Satan, it's not to go from Jesus into this cultish, like, Satanism or anything like that. Paul, what Paul is saying is he's lifting up the protection of the church from these two individuals. So Hymenaeus and Alexander are no longer under the authority of the church where they can love and guide them. But Paul dismissed them for their false teaching and lifestyle, and now they're under the rule of the world, or the ruler of the world is Satan. Because then at least they wouldn't be promoting false messages inside the church where we protect core doctrine and core beliefs of the Bible. So what does this all mean? Well, for one, I think it goes to show that the battle is real. There is an enemy. Enemy that wants people to disobey Jesus, to shipwreck their faith, and destroy the church. The enemy Satan used people like Hymenaeus and Alexander, who Paul trusted at one point, and he turned them against Paul and, you know, and, and to the church. And so the battle goes on. But second, it shows the importance of the church. 
in all of this. Uh, later on in Paul's second letter to Timothy, in chapter 2 it says, uh, 25 to 26, he says, he refers to why Paul had to exercise this kind of discipline among these men. It says, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Paul is actually exercising love and kicking Hymenaeus and Alexander out of the church. It said that if a believer lived in unrepentant sin or false doctrine, they're to be removed from church authority. And instead, the prayer and hope is that as they're banished from the church, that they would be banished with the hope that somehow by God's graces and his miracle, that someday they would be restored after repentance. So all that said, we see that the church is of utter importance. We guard the truth so that others would not corrupt it, but also the church is a place of protection for saints and confessing believers. Hymenaeus and Alexander lost that privilege when they continue with falsehood. And so the church is more than an institution provides a system of truth and correct doctrine so that there might be no room for any of this compromise. It's actually a beautiful testimony of how God's people throughout history have passed down the truth according to Scripture. And albeit imperfectly, we've lived by it. If the problem was a war against falsehood and the solution was to have a good faith, a good conscience, then their application is to stand together as the church to believe in the church, to grow as the church, to protect the integrity of the church, and simply be the church, as Christ calls us to be the church. In this passage of Paul exercising discipline by kicking out those who are promoting lies or living in unrepentant sin, that's how Paul exercised the church. How about our church? How are we to promote both the gospel and also to protect against falsehood? This means that we stay true to the gospel of Christ, a message of grace and what Jesus has done for us on the cross to cleanse our sin and to not compromise on what our culture promotes, whether that be moralistic values, but feel-good stories or tolerance. More than that, we worship one person, Jesus, the living God who rose from the dead and gives us a new life, a new identity, a new hope. The church today is to present one message to the world and to the divided culture that of Jesus Christ from the scriptures, the church is to be a place where we grow in our understanding of the Bible and to practice care and love for each other. We fail and we confess and repent, but we keep moving on. We need the church because it is so central to God's plan in all of this. We're to be witnesses of his grace and love to the whole world. That is one mission. So how are we doing that? For the young believer, I know it's easy for us to criticize a church and see it as irrelevant or maybe outdated. But instead of putting our criticisms, how about we learn from it? How about we submit to it? And as you question and doubt, start taking steps towards maturity. Find others who can teach you and love on you. Find the community and believers who can grow with you, who can challenge you. And a sure way to persevere in the faith is through the body of Christ, the church through the body of believers of past and present and future as they seek to proclaim the gospel. And more than that, you know, I challenge you, even if you have questions, start serving. Start serving. Help the church grow. As you grow as a believer to further disciple, there is those that are younger than you. Help them in the faith. Because all of us need a Paul as a mentor. All of us need a Timothy to disciple. 
For the mature believer, will you also help the church? Will you help by discipling our young people, your sons and daughters? You're growing believers who need grace and truth. We need your help. We need your wisdom. We need your conviction to hold on when we are losing sight of that goal. By teaching them to hold on to the core conviction that it is only by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone. That we have one book to study, the Bible, and it is for God and his glory. I know there might be pressing issues and even differences within the church, but if we could just see the big picture and realize the war at hand, would you help in discipling the next generation? The generation of pastors and future missionaries, of future husbands and wives, of future fathers and mothers in the faith. And finally, for those of you that are questioning, we want to offer you as our church as a place where you can come and you can freely worship. You might be questioning, you might be seeking, but we want you to know that our church follows God's missions, follows God's mission to proclaim the gospel that Jesus is a God who, amidst our brokenness, healed us. He offered his son for us. Would you consider the church, even this church, as some of you might find, not just to attend, but to find out more about, to commit to in the future, as hopefully you find others who can walk alongside with you, to help you grow and mature, so that you might know this Jesus Christ we keep talking about. I asked earlier how we are to persevere in the faith. We walked through the passage and saw that there's a war out there as we fight as a church. The battle is to protect the gospel and not to compromise it. We saw that to fight, to fight the battle, we use a sincere faith and a good conscience. Not only to know correct truth, but to practice it and to apply it. And finally, we see that the church is a place where all of this thrives. As we persevere in the faith, we need a generation of young and old to continue to fight for the gospel, to advance the kingdom, to not settle for half-truths or for lies, to not fall away, to not shipwreck their faith, but to pass on their faith by discipling, by the grace Jesus offers us. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we pray for the young. We pray for the old. Uh, we pray for those that are seeking. Uh, we pray for your grace. We pray for understanding. We pray your spirit lead us as we consider what the war is out in the world and help us hold on to faith and a good conscience. Help us stand together as a church proclaiming one message and not letting any lies or compromised teaching stand in our way. We love you, Lord, and dedicate to you the rest of the service. In Jesus' name, amen.